So we're going to continue our series on the Beatitudes. Um, as she read that we're looking at Matthew chapter 5, verse 4 today. It says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, since we're continuing our be um, the Beatitudes, um, I am going to go ahead and do a quick recap. Um, Jez did a fantastic recap yes um, yesterday. That would be last Sunday. Um, mine will not be that long. It's just going to be very, very brief. And so I'm, it won't be as involved um, or as deep either. So hopefully you can remember what he said last week. But I just wanted to hit a couple things just in case you weren't here last week or for some reason you forgot what was talked about last week. So um, the idea of the Beatitudes that comes from the Sermon of the Mount is probably the most famous part of the Sermon of the Mount because it's at the very beginning. And so sometimes what happens when you're speaking that people remember the beginning and forget the end. So hopefully that won't happen today when I'm speaking. You'll be able to remember everything. Um, but um, the uh, Beatitudes are the first eight statements there of the Sermon on the Mount. And it begins with blessed are thee. And then it talks um, about a variety of different people that are blessed. Now we actually get the name of Beatitudes from the Latin Vulgate. Um, the New Testament is written in Latin. And it was actually the Beatitudinus, um, which we in English get the word happiness. And it's because of this that sometimes when we approach the Beatitudes is that we get it confused that coming from our Western um, a contemporary uh, individualized culture is that we think um, of the Beatitudes almost as a self-help book. And whenever we do that, we actually um, get everything completely wrong, that we don't realize that it's not about attaining happiness, but it's about giving joy. And the way that we have this joy is by being part of the kingdom of God. And that kingdom of God is not a physical place, but it is being involved in the reign of Christ in our lives and then us affecting the world around us. So the second way that the Beatitudes um, can be misunderstood is that um, by reading them and thinking that they are not related whatsoever. And that we need to re realize is that they are related, that each one of them are related, and that they build on each other. So since this is number two, it's going to build on number one from last week. Last week it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So poor in spirit, once again, is not talking about physical wealth, but it refers to our spiritual poverty and that the lack and that we lack anything good or righteous in us alone and that we are spiritually bankrupt. Now, you're going to hear me say spiritually bankrupt a lot today in my talk, so I apologize ahead of time, but I think it's the best way for us to understand is that we have nothing. And it's in this nothingness, realizing that we have nothing to offer to God, that God, through Jesus Christ, offers us life in the kingdom of God. So understand that first beatitude very quickly. Hope that will help us to understand our second one, which is blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. So looking here, we have to look at what does mourn mean? Now mourning from a typical definition would be grief expressed over the loss of something meaningful to you. Now, I want to start off and affirm that Jesus is compassionate and he does care for what's happening in your life. Um, we know this um, besides of who he is, but also from his character and what he did. Um, if you remember the story of Lazarus, which is one of his, um, his good mates, um, there in John 11, is that Jesus already knows that um, Lazarus has died and that he's going back to be with Mary and Martha. And as he's going back, um, that Lazarus has already been dead for four days, and that as he meets um, Mary Martha, um, that it says that Jesus wept, 
that Jesus cries, that he's upset. So Jesus cares whenever we are mourning, when we're going through difficult times, when we have loss of, of loved one in our life. But that's not what it's talking about in this verse. And it's interesting because for many years, that's what I thought this beatitude was. It had to talk about us actually missing someone or when we, the loss of someone. But it's more than that. So for us to understand what it means, we've got to talk about what it doesn't mean. And so what we're going to do is that we're going to look at types of mourning that are not blessed. So I'm going to try to use some biblical examples for us to compare and contrast about what mourning is not blessed and what mourning is blessed. So hopefully that you can follow me here. So the first one we're going to be looking at is a disappointment. Now this kind of mourning happens when someone is disappointed over the loss of something that God didn't want them to have to begin with. So sometimes we can be mourning because we didn't get something, but God didn't want us to have that to begin with. Now, the example I have, which I'm sure that many of you aren't even aware of, is for 1 Kings chapter 21. And what happens here, it talks about King Ahab and that he is lusting and wanting a vineyard by his neighbor uh, Naboth. Um, which God's law prevents him from possessing. Now Ahab's wife, Jezebel, eventually reigns for Naboth's um, death and the confiscation of the vineyard. And after, and, and all this because her, her husband had wanted this, but he was still sudden, um, sullen and displeased because he couldn't get it because Naboth had refused to be in with. So when we're disappointed in our lives because we want something that God doesn't want us to have, and that we are mourning because of that, that this is not a type of mourning that we'll be blessed by. The next one is pride. So this is when we mourn because God does not accept sins that we accept and that we want him to accept. Now, the biblical example I'm going to give you here is from Cain and Abel. So Cain is the son of Adam, and he sought to worship God through offering him um, things from works of his own hands. But God rejected Cain's offering because it was prideful, but he accepted the offering of Abel, which is a humble sacrifice of a lamb instead. Now, Cain mourned the rejection, but God told him, why are you angry, and why, are you, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, you will be accepted. And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, and you but you should rule over it. You see, Cain mourned, but only because God had rejected what he wanted to get and what he thought was best. You see, it's one of those things, what we think is best and what God thinks is best isn't the same. And so when we have pride and think, you know what, what I think is best is better than what God thinks, and we mourn because God's not accepting us for whatever this is, that's sin. And so that's a pride of sin. And so that mourn's not blessed either. So the next one I will look at is guilt. Now, another type of mourn, not blessed, is a sin that we committed, but because of the unwelcome sense of guilt that this sin comes upon, comes upon us. Now, this, looks, this is very subtle, and it looks from an outward um, observation or viewpoint that this is godly mourning, but it's not. So it's basically like this. When I do something, instead of me being convicted and saying, you know what, I shouldn't have done that, it's like, oh, I feel guilty for doing that. It's not so much that I'm sad I did that. It's kind of like more that I'm caught doing that. And I know that I've got to do something with it. So my biblical example from that is going to be Saul. It's going to be actually not Saul. It's going to be Judas. Wow. 
So Judas' betrayer, what happens, we all know the story here, is that when he saw that he had sinned against Jesus, who was an innocent man, for 30 pieces of silver, what he did was that he felt remorseful and that he sought to give the money back, thinking back, just giving the money back to the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the chief priest um, would be good enough. So he was more um, remorseful, but he never mourned that he never called out to God for mercy. He never said, you know what, God, I'm sorry. I can't believe I did that. He was one of these things. He's remorseful. I can't believe I did that act. But he didn't continue um, asking for forgiveness from God. The priest rejected, and they threw the money back. Um, threw the money back. To, um, oh, he threw the money to them, and they threw it away, and, and bought a field eventually from there. But his actions revealed that all he wanted to do was overcome this guilt that he was actually feeling, and not to be forgiven. The next one I want to bring about is shame. Now, shame is when we mourn over our reputation, that we are more concerned about what others think than what God thinks. It's not so much what we're listening to what God is telling us. It's that we're more concerned with what other people think. And so when we mourn in this way, that this actually isn't blessed either. And the example I'm going to have here is Saul. So what happens is this happened to King Saul in the Old Testament, that he had disobeyed God's commandment. And the prophet Samuel confronted him for sinful rebelliousness. But Saul's sorrow was very superficial. And he said, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandments of the Lord in your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. That Saul's confession from his, his mouth was fast, rapid, and showed really not really remorse. That he didn't really genuinely grieve over his sin, but he wanted to do what he had to in order to look holy among the people around him, look holy among his peers. And the last sin that's not mourned, the last, excuse me, the last type of mourning that's not blessed is unwanted consequences or self-pity. And this is when we mourn over the physical pain and suffering that we bring upon ourselves whenever we sin. And this sin, unfortunately, is so common amongst us. I don't have a biblical example, but I have more just an example in my own life. As far as it's that time when I know that something is wrong, the Bible clearly says it, but I start trying to make it a gray area and said, you know what, is that what the Bible really says? Surely the spirit of the law means this. And you know, when it comes down to it, I'm going to do what I want to do because I think that's what's best here. And God just doesn't really understand the situation. He'd want me to be happy. He'd want me to experience this. He would want me to be an adult to make this decision for myself, knowing that what I'm doing is not what the Bible says. It's not what his word says. And that I argue amongst myself to convince myself what I'm doing is right. And then I'm mourning because what I did is wrong. And then I actually sow, I, I, I reap what I sow. So these right here are types of mourning that are not blessed. Um, that we can grieve. So it's important to know what type of mournings are not blessed in order for us to understand what mornings can be blessed. So, um, and looking... Of um, um, lost my plane, my my train of thought here. It says, as I said before, yeah, mourning is grief expressed over loss of something meaningful to us. Now, expression is critical to understanding mourning. It's not just enough for uh, me to um, say that I am sinful and realize my sinful um, condition, but I've got to do more. 
So the question is, is that I've got to um, demonstrate repentance. So the question, I guess, would be, what is repentance? And one person could say that you feeling sorry for something is what repentance. But more accurately, it's, it means that you're sorry enough to quit. And so that's what I would like for our definition to be, is the type of mourning that's blessed is to mourn over sin, is to express the appropriate sorrow that leads me to stop sinning. So we're looking here, so the, the, the type of blessings, the blessed of those are mourned, for they shall be comforted. So what type of mourning it is? Well, it's going to be in two categories here. The first of all is the recognition of our sin. This mourning deals with our sin. It's realizing that sin is a horrible thing. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. That sin wants to consume every part of our life. Sin is not some cuddly little animal that you think you can have cage, that you'll just bring it out and pet it like it's a rabbit and then put it back. No, it is a roaring lion that wants to consume your life. That it is a cancer upon our souls. It says to God, you know what, God, you may be God, but guess what? I know what's right in my own life. I don't need you or anyone else to tell me. Sin changes us. And it causes us to make ourselves and other things to become our, our, um, what occupies our mind's attention and heart's affection. If you wonder what the gods are in your life, think about what you spend your time, your money on, what you're quick to protect. If it's not God, then that will point to areas of your life that are little gods that are sin. So blessed are those who mourn and they shall be comforted. If you look there, it doesn't say, blessed are those that have mourned, but it says, but mourn, that it's a present and continuous experience. That like in the first beatitude, it says that the poor in spirit, it's a description of a person on, um, that they come to understand that the poor in spirit, so they start that relationship with Jesus Christ, but it continues as they um, continue the relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a continuing of confessing their sin and realizing. But the same thing it is when it comes to mourning that we realize that we have let God down and that we continue to let God down as well. As we mourn that we need to come to a realization of our sin, I need to come to a realization of my sin, that I need to realize that my sin can fall in two categories, sins of omission and sins of commission. Now, in case you don't know what those are, let me just break those down real quick for us. So a sin of commission is, involves a willing act of, act of doing something that violates God's commands or laws. So this could be lying, it could be stealing, it's gossip, it's envy. Now, there could be some things that I'd even mention, but I want you to think for a second, what are some of those things that you kind of go to, those sins that no one really knows about? Just think for yourself. You don't have to say them out loud. The next one, we have the sins of omission. And so what happens is this involves not doing what is right or failing to do what is instructed. So this could be not really caring for your neighbor. I mean, it's not doing anything, doing anything specifically against them, but it's not doing anything for them either. Or it could be, you know what, you're just not spending time in God's Word. You know what's important. The same thing with prayer. You may do it some, but you're not making it a priority. Or it could be coming down just serving others. Whatever it is that you need to know, and I need to know, is that the effects of our sin affects my, our relationship with God. And that whenever God feels far away, it's not that he's moved. It's because my sin is causing a barrier between our communication. 
It's that your sin is causing that barrier with your communication with God. And that whenever we grieve, that's what it means to mourn here. To realize that I'm the one that is causing a, that relationship between us and God. Okay, so let's go ahead and go. Here we're still looking at mourning. We're still looking at what kind of mourning is being blessed. So it's looking at our sins. So we're mourning for our sins, but we're also going to be mourning for the sins around us. Now, this part of, of mourning focuses, um, takes the focus off us. And sometimes, you know what? It's difficult to take the focus off us because it seems like our lives revolve around us and what we want and everything else. But when we need to mourn for those around us, we need to see what's happening in our world. We need to look at the human suffering. We need to see what sin, how it's affecting the world. People's selfishness is affecting the world. That we need to look and see um, that the sin that we may be part of or what's happening in the world is affecting everyone. That he wants us to mourn over injustices that we see. That he wants us to mourn over the pain and hurt that are the direct cause of the sin. He wants us to mourn over the fragmentations that are of families, the abuse the addictions in society, that the hatred of people not based upon who they are or what they've done to the person individually, but could be based upon their age, um, their race, their ethnicity, their nationality, their gender, their political views, or you know what, you name it. That people instead of seeing that we're all created in the Imago Dei, which is the image of God, we see each other through lenses of sin and we don't realize the need that is there in all of our lives. That he wants us to mourn with those around us. That he wants us to, um, to realize that people's sin is causing them not to realize who God is. That they're not praising God that he created the world. In fact, there are so many people in our city that don't even realize or acknowledge that God is real. And that he desperately wants to have a relationship with them as well. Now, there's a guy named Paul Lewis Metzger. And he, in his book, um, Beatitudes, Not Platitudes, he discusses the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a theologian and a preacher um, during World War I, during World War II. And he rises up against um, the Nazis um, in saying what they're doing is wrong. And he shows this type of mourning through his life. And what he does is that um, in one of his books, he argues um, within the context of the cost of discipleship that we, um, that no one loves humanity more than Jesus and no one should love humanity more than real disciples. And he uses that term real disciples, not just people who say that they're Christians, but people who are actually living that out. And so what happens is that Bonhoeff mourned his own spiritual condition. He would say what a sinner he is. He'd say well, how his sin is preventing him from knowing God to the fullest extent, as well as he would mourn for the state of the German Christians, whom he opposed in their alignment with, with Hitler. He didn't let the idea that they were aligned with Hitler keep him from coming to God and mourning with them. That he grieved for the, with um, the extreme sorrow for the Jewish communi community and others whom Hitler exterminated, and that he gave his life to try to bring it in to the Nazi menace. You see, for Bonhoeffer, one cannot sing or rejoice in Christ. Um, for Bonhoeffer, one cannot sing or rejoice in Christ who does not cry out for the Jewish community in the suffering. Because Bonhoeffer said, um, only he who cries out for the Jews can actually sing 
praises to God as well. So we've looked here at what type of mourning is, what mourning is not. Now it says in the last of that beatitude is that they are comforted. But what does this mean? Well, that those that are mourned, that they are comforted, is that um, we need to realize that as we realize that we are sinners, that we are not left our own. That's not one of the things that God just wants to say, you know what, you are sinners and forget you. It's not that at all. Once we realize that we have that spiritual bankruptcy, that we are nothing, that we have nothing to give to God in order to have that relationship, that He provides a way, that He reveals His grace. He um, gives us that, that life through His death and His resurrection. And that even though we are spiritually bankrupt and have nothing, that we are comforted to know that he will not leave us like that, that he will forgive us of our sin, that we will have that relationship with him, and that he will change us, that God loves us too much to just to leave us the way we are, but he wants to continue to change us to become more like him, that we have that comfort and joy. And we know that Jesus' comfort and joy is not some silly romantic notion, that ignores reality of the world bound up in sin and evil. Nor is it one of those that neglecting um, the bitterness and we forget um, that he brings comfort to everyone. Um, and that those that grieve um, will be comforted um, because he rose from the dead. Now, Mike, uh, Matt uh, Smithhurst reminds us um, and the following thing, he says in Matthew 5, 4, which is the, the, um, the beatitude we're looking at, it says, if, if, if Matthew 5, 4 is true, if Jesus, really meets, if Jesus really meets repentance with comfort and not con- condemnation, then no longer do you need to fear being exposed. And that's one of the main reasons that we don't like to come and tell God, is that we fear being exposed, that we'll be found out. But the thing is that God is a loving God. He's not here to expose you, but he's here to comfort you. No longer do you have to present an airbrushed version of yourself. No longer do you have to fear um, um, sharing who you really are, because God knows who you are. So, but in the midst of understanding, you could be looking at today and, and thinking to yourself, you know what, that's great and everything, but how does this really apply to me? I mean, yeah, I kind of agree with that, but you, there may be some resistance. So Smithhurst continues, and he says that the, um, given the human condition here, that Jesus' promise that we just read about to comfort those who sin is so counterintuitive. You see, here in the UK, and it's the same throughout the world, is that sin is something that is not grieved. It's not something that's disapproved of. In fact, it's something that is not merely tolerated. It is celebrated. And that our society doesn't mourn sin. It mourns those who actually mourn sin. In other words, that society is saying, why in the world should you mourn your sin? Live your life. You have one life. Live it to the fullest. But the thing is, is that we do not realize that when we sin, it's a big deal. You see, sin's not trivial, it's treason. It's an insurrection against heaven's throne. We have never committed a small sin because we never offend a small God. Let me just say that again, okay? We have never committed a small sin because we have never offended a small God. 
Smithhurst also says this, to the degree that we mourn our sin both individually and collectively, we avail ourselves of heaven's comfort to the degree that we, um, to the, uh, I can't read that, to the degree that we don't, we rob ourselves of that. Let me read that again because I messed it up. To the degree that we mourn our sin both individually and collectively, we avail ourselves of heaven's comfort. To the degree that we don't, we, we rob ourselves of it. So in the light of this, what have we learned about the Beatitudes? What can we do? Well, Robert Lloyd-Jones, which many of you probably know, suggested, you know what, the best thing for us is just be honest, is for us to examine ourselves. He even goes on to say in one of his sermons as far as that wise people examine themselves and have a spirit of examination. Well, I'm not here saying that I'm an expert at all or that I'm wise, but something I try to do daily. At the end of my day, I think back and have a time of reflection and think to myself, what have I done today? What is it? Um, what decisions I've made, both good and bad. And as I examine these things, I acknowledge the areas that I mess up because we all mess up. Because I don't want that sin, the times I mess up, to cause um, the relationship between um, Christ and I to be affected. You know what? Um, this is also seen in Romans 7, 21 through 25. Um, Maella read that to you. And I suggest this. Instead of me going through this, why don't you take time this week and go through this? Because what happens is that Paul is talking about, he knows that over here is the law. He knows he should be doing this, but he doesn't do this. So some questions that you may ask yourself during this time would be, um, what are some words or phrases throughout this passage highlight his struggle? Um, something else is that he says he's wretched in there. He says um, that he says, what a wretched man I am in 24. Why is Paul calling himself wretched? And then he goes on to talk about um, in here as well that the continued struggle that he has. So this week, as you reflect back over this sermon, just reflect over, not so much the first sermon, but just the beatitude, is to look here at Romans 7, 21 through 25, and think about the struggle that Paul has, and how can you identify with that, as well as what can you learn from that. Now today, I hope that, um, that this was able to clear up some of the things as far as looking at the beatitudes, that when we look at worldly sorrow, um, that we have disappointment, we have pride, we have shame, we have guilt, we have self-pity, that those are not the type of sorrow or, or mourning that we need. The mourning is when we recognize who we are and how we need Christ. And in the midst of that, that God will actually change us. So to be blessed for mourning, um, once again, is, is related back to the first one, is, is that we have a poverty of spirit, that we come to the Lord humbly and broken, and that we are aware of our sin. And we admit that we have nothing of spiritual worth whatsoever, that we are sinful and that we're selfish and that we are rebellions. But because we are citizens of God through Jesus Christ, that we actually can be, um, have that comfort. Ultimately, our comfort is anchored in the reality that Jesus doesn't um, just mourn our sin, that he conquers it. And that he invites us into this upside-down kingdom, which is actually the title for all the Beatitudes. And that he dies in our place so that we can actually enter it. 
So as a time right now, as you reflect back over some of the things that I said, we're gonna break out, and actually, you know what, I'm gonna tell you what we're gonna do, because Andy's gonna tell you here in a second, but I'm gonna just close this in prayer. Father God, I do thank you for who you are. I thank you for your love for us. And Father God, I pray that you'll help us be honest about our sin, that we won't say that we're sorry trying to put on keeping up appearances or just because we feel guilty, but I pray that we will actually um, be repentive and that we um, will not only say we're sorry, but it will cause us to stop sinning as well. Father God, I thank you. You call us into an upside-down kingdom, a kingdom where we have joy by your presence, and it's not just happiness based on circumstances. Father God, I thank you for what you are doing and have done and are going to continue to do. And I thank you that you call us to life in you, a life um, that's new and refreshing and one that... It, um, where we mourn, but we're comforted as well. And I ask this in the blessed and holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen.